Lord, you are awesome. Nobody else is but you. That word gets thrown around a lot, but Lord, you bring awe and wonder as we try to even grasp your greatness, your holiness, your faithfulness, your incredible love for us. Lord, we know to know you is to love you, so we want to know you better. And so we ask as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Take a a chapter that can be difficult for many to grasp and understand. And Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would just take a deep truth and teach it simply so every heart can grasp it and understand it. Lord, not so that we just increased in knowledge, but that we would know you better and it would change the way we live. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. By the way, if you're here for the first time, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. Here at Calvary Chapel, we do not have membership. If you show up, you are a part of the family. That's the way it works. So welcome to the family. It's great having you here. All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. And as we've seen so far, not the only theme, but one of the main themes that we see recurring throughout this These two letters written to the believers in Thessalonica is the constant pointing to the the coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. These are two things that were taught, even though, again, briefly, I don't have a lot of time, I don't want to take a lot of time on it, but remember that Paul had only spent three weeks in this city, this city that was a city in a surf town, they weren't surfing back then probably, but... It was a beach town, and it was a town that was filled with idolatry and filled with great wealth. And as they came to know Christ, they faced great persecution. And I'm amazed at how that sounds like Santa Cruz. And in the midst of all of it, in three short weeks, Paul was later chased out of town. They became very grounded in their faith. And Paul wrote the first letter to encourage them to stand fast in what they were already doing and also to let them know that they had not missed the rapture. They were concerned that people that had died would miss out on the coming of the Messiah. They thought, well, if they already died, since the coming is soon, we don't want to miss it. And he wanted to let them know they had not. Now, 2 Thessalonians is in response to some confusion that came because of the first letter. The first letter was written, and just either a few months up to about a year later, this second letter was written by Paul to the same people, and it was written to clarify some of the confusion that came, kind of like when you leave here sometimes on a Sunday morning, right? Sometimes you leave here confused. I hope that's not too often, but if you do, hopefully there's a pastor or somebody that can try to explain what in the world I was saying, right? But here's the thing. This is what's happening with the Apostle Paul. He's writing this follow-up letter. And he's writing them to encourage them and to help straighten up some of the confusion that had come. So this morning, we're going to see God's timetable for the end times. Do you know that God's in control? Doesn't that just bless your socks off? I am so blessed to know that no matter what happens in the world, no matter who's getting whipped up about what, no matter who's aiming missiles at who, no matter what's going on, God's in control. And that just gives me a peace in the midst of the greatest storm because I know He's faithful. And I know as we saw last week that even if persecution comes, it's going to be for His glory and my growth if I know God. Amen? And so when it comes, praise God for it. And we also know there was that warning last week about those who do not know God, those who reject Him, 
We're going to spend eternity separated from Him. Hell is a real place. If you're a visitor, ooh, they said hell at church. Yes, we do, because we want to talk about it rather than have people experience it. Amen? Amen. And our God talks about it. The Word of God talks about it. Jesus talked about it more than He did heaven. And the point is that we need to have the hell scared out of us sometimes. Amen? Amen. Oh man, people are mad already. But here's the truth. (laughs) The truth is that we cannot live lives and ignore the grace of God and expect that in the end it's all going to be okay. Because it's not. And I am burdened for every person, first and foremost in this room, than every person in this town. I'm such a, uh, my heart just breaks for Santa Cruz. And it's because these people need Jesus and so do we. Amen? Amen? And what they need is to know the God of the Bible, the God of love and grace and mercy. And you can't understand how great His grace is until you understand how great it is and what He saved you from. And what you truly deserve, what I deserve. So we come now to the second chapter after talking to them about persecution is a part of the Christian life and the eternal separation is what happens for those who reject God's grace. And now he's going to talk to them and clarify the end times for them. And we've been looking at this last several weeks and I hope you're a little clearer than you were before. But the truth is that we're not going to fully grasp everything about the end times until we get to heaven. Did you know that? Because our God is so much greater than we are. We are toast compared to God. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. That we're going to look at at not only the end times themselves. And when does the rapture of the church take place. And the second coming of Christ. We're also going to see the rise of this man. The Antichrist. And you might be here thinking. Oh I thought that was just in movies. No it's, it's in the Bible. And we need to understand a little bit about. All of these end times prophecies. Again, not that you and I can build a calendar. You know what? When we start setting dates, we start having problems. No man knows the day or the hour. And no man means no man, no woman, nobody in this room, nobody on this planet. So when someone says they know, they're lying. And if you prophesy falsely once, it makes you a false prophet. And so what is happening in Thessalonica as we get to chapter 2 is that They are concerned because a letter, as we're going to see in the text, had been written and the word was out that all this persecution that was happening, they were really in the tribulation. They had somehow missed the rapture. Has that that ever happened to anybody besides me? I remember when I was a little kid, a couple times I came home and like nobody was home and I walked around the house and I went to the next door neighbor's house, they were Christians too and they weren't there and I thought, oh no. Maybe some of the people in Thessalonica thought, you know what, the Lord came and we got to stay. Maybe we were blowing it. And if you ever show up here on a Sunday and we're all gone, go to the website and and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and hit play, okay? Because our website, as I've said before, is rapture proof, so get on there and you'll be able to listen to it. But I hope you're not here though. Amen? Oh, none of you are here. But here's the point that they were concerned and he wanted to answer their questions because lies had come, false prophecy had come, and the word had come and they were worried, well maybe we are in the great tribulation. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun because there's people talking about that today. I have people come and talk to me all the time. Well, pastor, you know, the stuff that's going on. Hopefully when we get done today, all of that will be 
cleared up. So, God's timetable for the end. Three points. Number one, we're going to see the rapture of the church. Number two, the revelation of the Antichrist. And then the second coming of Christ. And we're going to see all of that in this chapter. And actually, we're going to look through verses 1 through 12, so you don't start panicking if I'm on verse 10 and it's been a while, okay? So we're going to go through verses 1 through 12, because that's really where the subject ends. And we're going to see, again, the rapture of the church, the revelation of the Antichrist. When does that happen? Should you and I be looking for the Antichrist? We'll talk about that. And then thirdly, the second coming of Christ. Remember, the rapture is Christ coming for us, and the second coming is Christ coming with us. We will be in heaven and return with him. And we'll take a look at this man in this text called the man of sin, who is the Antichrist. And we'll get some details about him. And at the end of all of that begins the millennial kingdom. So let's begin in verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at God's timetable for the end, the rapture of the church. Verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are gathering together to Him, we ask you. Now Paul is addressing questions that had come after they got the first letter. If you'll remember the first letter, at the end of every single chapter, he told them and encouraged them that Christ was coming back. He told them and encouraged them that it was soon and be ready. And you know what? I believe Paul believed that he would be raptured. And you know what? And then you say, well, he was wrong. You know what? It's better to live like you're going to be raptured and end up dying and going to be with the Lord than to live like you're not going to be raptured and have Him show up. Amen? It's better to live in anticipation of His soon return because as we said weeks ago, we don't know when He's coming, but it could be today. And we should live every day in anticipation of His coming. He says concerning the catching away that the church would be with Jesus... The rapture and the second coming of Christ. These are two separate events. Many people believe right here in this verse, he's really talking about the two events. He says they're concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to Him. Two separate events. Gathering together to Him, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, coming seven years later. If you were not here when I taught through Daniel chapter 9, we will touch on it briefly. encourage you to grab the CD or the tape. They will always be free, and you get a very clear picture of where the seven-year tribulation comes from. Okay? So, some believe, again, these two separate events are noted right here, and I happen to be one of them. Now, real quickly, what is the rapture? If you weren't here... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get the word for rapture. Harpazo, raptuo in Latin, where we get the word rapture. Then people say to me, the word rapture is not anywhere in the Bible. Why do you teach it? Okay, fine, the caught up. Amen? Because that's in the Bible. And we will be caught up in the air to meet our Savior in the air. It says, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with Him always. So the word rapture means to snatch away. As I said before, rapture Him coming for us, second coming seven years later, Him coming with us, and the seven years in between is called the great day of the Lord. Now, mainly the second three and a half years, as we'll talk about today, and we'll we'll put this up in a little bit, 
you'll see that that's really where the focus of a lot of the wrath of God comes, is in the second three and a half years. But it's a seven-year period that begins with the rapture of the church and a truce being made or a, a covenant being made between the Antichrist and Israel. Now, as we saw in Daniel chapter 9, the tribulation is not for the church, though many people in the church that were not in the church will get saved. It's for Israel. And it's during that time that tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews will be saved. And so too often we make a mistake of not understanding, as it says in Daniel, this is for my city and my people. It's not for us. Now, it will impact us, of course, but the focus of it is Israel. At the second coming, just a description, says, Behold, he comes in the clouds and every eye shall see him. Here's the difference. The rapture says, thief in the night, snatched away, disappear. Second coming, everybody's going to know it. It cracks me up when people say the Lord came back and he's living in Brooklyn. That was going around for years. Anybody else hear that besides me? The Lord came back and he's living in Brooklyn. I'm like, dude, I know that's a lie. Because when he comes back, we're all going to know. And by the way, when he comes back, I'm coming with him. I will have been gone for seven years already. So I know that's not true. These are reasons why we need to know what the Bible says so we don't get caught up. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we will also appear with him in glory. It says he will come with ten thousands of the saints. It says his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, and the mountain will split in two. I've been to Israel, mountain's not split in two yet. That means he hasn't come yet. Amen? You know, there's hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that have all come true. We can trust the ones that haven't taken place yet are going to come true just like the Bible says. Amen? We need to read the word so we are not lost and caught up by the lies that can come as we're going to see in the next verse. The Bible also tells us that all of his enemies will be destroyed. Did you know we're going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years with the Lord? It's called the millennial kingdom. And it's interesting, a day is to a thousand years. Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years. Jesus to now, 2,000 years. Been 6,000 years. A day is to 1,000 years. In God's calendar, 6 days. And there's going to be a millennial kingdom, a 1,000 year reign. A day is to 1,000 years. And you know what? The Lord made, created the world in 6 days. And on the 7th day, He what? Rested. He rested. We're in rapture season, guys. It's been 6,000 years. I'm not going to set a date. That would make me a false prophet. I don't want to do that. But I will say, it could be today. Amen. And we ought to live like it. So when's the rapture going to take place? We know it says at the last trumpet. I won't go into it because we don't really have time, but I want to say this, that when the rapture takes place, what's going to happen on earth, you don't want to be here for. You do not want to be here. Just There's three sets of judgments, and just the first set, a third of all the world's vegetation is going to be burned up. A third of the seas are going to become blood. A third of the water is going to turn bitter. The sun and the moon and the stars are going to be darkened. Locusts are going to come out of the ground and sting and torment men who want to die and won't be able to. And a third of mankind will be destroyed in a single day. I don't think I want to be here for that. And that's what's going to be happening in the world, but it's going to happen only to those who repeatedly reject the grace of God. Now people read that and go, well, wait a minute, what kind of God are we serving? 
Why would he be so brutal and mean and harsh? And, and you know what has happened? It's people in the church today have tried to explain away hell because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Well, it just can't be true because God of the Bible, he just wouldn't do that. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He desires to rescue every one of us from it. And when you start to grasp the fact that hell was created for the devil and those who follow him will end up there and God's desire is that none should perish, no, not one, and he proved it by hanging on a cross. And we sit there and we want to, we want to ba- people want to bash God. What kind of God is that? Let me tell you what kind of God he is. He'd rather die than live without you. Don't take him for granted. Don't take him lightly. He loves you guys. He's a God of love and grace and infinite mercy. He has not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Guys, I said it last week. If God did not judge evil, He would not be holy. Do you understand that? If there was no evil and holy, then what's the point? But God is perfect and holy. He cannot have sin in His presence. And so our sin must be removed before we can be with Him. And the good news is, He sent His Son to do it in our place so that we would not have to. So it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you, verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There were words, there were letters, there were, quote, prophecies that it was happening. Can I tell you something right now? Be very, 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 very careful of anybody who calls themselves a prophet. Amen? Amen. Usually I just start running away. Because here's the truth. If, God, if God's going to speak prophetically through somebody, they're not going to walk around proclaiming themselves to be a prophet. Now, I didn't really have time to do it, but I, I, I'm almost positive, and if I'm wrong, correct me. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. I don't think anybody in the Bible ever refers to themselves as a prophet outside of this, our Savior Himself. So why should... So I get a little nervous when I see people, yeah, I'm a prophet. Or the Kansas City prophets are coming to town. You've got to go see them. What are you talking about? You know what? We got, we got this book right here. And we need to read this. And what happens is there's this emotion that's whipped up about all this prophecy. I ran into somebody at one of my son's football games. And they're telling me about the prophet, the prophet, the prophet. And they started going on. And, and, and I was just straight nonsense for 10 minutes. I'm sitting there going, this is nonsense. Oh, the prophet, there's a prophecy that this and that. I'm like, that just contradicts scripture all over the place. You know what that makes that person? False prophet. I went to their website. They've been around 30 years. Got thousands of seminars, doing all these seminars and everything else. And people are flocking to it. You know what? We don't need prophet, prophecy seminars. We need Word of God seminars. This is, where, this is the answers right here. And it's always some real vague, bizarre, I saw this angel standing on your shoulder. And, and you know, and they, I've had that stuff happen to me. And then this happened. Now, God can do that. God can speak through dreams. The Bible says that your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions, those kinds of things. The Bible says that, but we need to be very careful that whenever you hear anything prophetic, you check it against this. This is the teacher's edition right here. 
And if it's not, if it doesn't get confirmed in here, it's not from God. And so what happens is, all this stuff was happening. Maybe they had a a prayer meeting and someone prophesied. Because it says there, don't be troubled either by spirit, by spirit. Somebody maybe had a prophetic word from God. Oh, we're in the middle of the tribulation. Oh, the great day has come. And we were chosen to be left here by God. Then, then the word started spreading. It says by word. It doesn't mean word of God here. It means by word, spoken word by men. People are going around. Look, oh man, we got left behind. Oh man, oh maybe the rapture wasn't real. Oh, look what's happening to us. And then somebody came up with a forged letter saying that Paul had sent it, saying they were in the tribulation. Forged letters saying they came from God. Isn't that how all the cults are started today? The Book of Mormon, what is that? Oh, God wrote it. No, He didn't. How do we know? You check it against the teacher's edition, amen? And when you open this up, you're not going to be God. Ever. Amen? Nor were you ever a God, and nor was our God ever a man on another planet. And that's what Mormonism teaches. Now, do we love the Mormons? Absolutely. Do we want to see them saved? Yes. Is there a, you know, a covering over their eyes that they're lost? The Jehovah's Witnesses, the same thing. They've got the, the watchtower, and they've got their own Bible, and they've you know, they got other stuff. God showed me, and they bring it out. And guys, you're going to fall for the lie if you don't know the truth. And this is what is happening. To the, they're, they're shaken. The word there for shaken is tossed as a ship on an agitated sea. And they were, in their mind, they were just, they were totally shaken, and the word for troubled there is frightened. They were scared to death. Why? Because they were listening to the words of men instead of seeking the word of God. We're going to be scared if we listen to what men say. Do men run around like chicken little sometimes? Oh, it's all going to die. We're in big trouble. Right? And you just, dude, it's all good. God's in control. It's all right. What are we going to do if that happens? I don't know. God's faithful. It's just, just such a blessing, isn't it? Don't have to sweat anything. My God holds it all into, in the palm of His hands. What I would be sweating is if I wasn't standing right with Him. That's the thing you need to be afraid about. Amen? You want to be afraid? If you don't know God, be very afraid. And get right. Amen? Get right or get left, right? Amen? And we need to get right with Almighty God. So they're troubled and they were tossed and they were frightened. Why? Because... They had gotten this false letter. But see, the sad part is they'd gotten a great letter, a true letter of encouragement telling them to stand fast, but then right behind it came a lie. We have got to be able to discern between the truth and the lie. And that's what's happening here. They lacked discernment at the moment, and because of it, they were troubled, they were frightened, they were worried. He had praised them for their faith and their hope, and he had praised them for just standing fast. And he had told them they were not appointed to wrath, but here they are in a short amount of time being worried and being shaken because they listened to the words of men. And they thought they were in the great tribulation. So he's going to make sure they understand that they're not in the great tribulation. And this part is hard for people because this is one of the favorite, I'm just going to be real honest with you, this is one of the favorite chapters of people who believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation, at least part of it. They love to pull this chapter up. But this is why we look at the whole counsel of God. Not a chapter. 
out of context and jam in our position and then stand behind it. Here's the point. When you look at all of Scripture, what did he just say in 1 Thessalonians? We would be what? Caught up. Didn't he say that? He said we would. When you get to Revelation, one of my favorite studies on the end times, and it should be, chapters 1 through 3, I know this is repetitive, chapters 1 through 3, we see the church mentioned 41 times. Chapter 4, a trumpet is blown. I think that's by chance. And what happens? John is called up into heaven. And he's caught up in heaven, and while he is there, he then looks down on what is happening on earth from a heavenly perspective. For the next 15 chapters. And during that time is when the tribulation and, the great, and all the judgments of God are being poured out upon the earth. And where is John while it's all happening? He's in heaven. You know why? Because you and I will be in heaven. And the word church is nowhere else in the rest of the book of Revelation. And aren't you glad? Do you think if we were here there might be a mention or two about us? Do you think God would love us enough to tell us what we might want to do during that time? At all? Of course he would. But that's not what happened. Why? Because we're not going to be here. So be careful when you hear the the words of men that you don't get caught up. Now, you want to put that up, Brian? Real quick. I wanted to show you something. Now, when you look at this, this is the timeline. We are currently in the present church age, which is pictured in Revelations 2 and 3. That's where we are right now. The rapture of the church as seen in 1 Thessalonians 4 and will be seen in verse 7 of this chapter. And then begins that last seven year period that we talked about in Daniel chapter 9. I hope I'm not losing you. The first three and a half years is going to be when the Antichrist, as we'll see in a moment, comes along and he's going to bring peace to the world. Imagine what the world is going to be like when the church isn't here anymore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit is gone? Now, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and He will still have an impact on the world, but He will not be here like He is now. So imagine, we are the restraining forces we're going to see, and then halfway through, the Antichrist is going to reveal Himself to be who He is, desire to be worshipped, and then the last three and a half years, the judgment of God is going to come out upon the earth. Now, there are some that believe we're going to be here halfway through the tribulation. I don't believe that. Why? Because of the verses noted there. Rapture of the church. Some people believe we're going to go all the way through the tribulation and they're going to be so glad that they're wrong because we're going to heaven before that happens. Amen? They're going to be so glad we're not down here ducking 120 pound hailstones. Amen? Others believe that this isn't going to happen at all and we're just, it happened in AD 70 and that's just plain a mess. I'm sorry. That's called, and again, I don't want to get too technical, but that's called being an amillennialist, which means that we're in the millennium right now. But if we're in the millennium right now, that would mean that Satan is chained up and that God's ruling and reigning on the earth. Is that what it looks like to you? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) He's got a really long chain or something, right? No way. So... This is the truth about the end times. And let's keep going through and let's look at it again. Not just a verse out of context, but in its context. And I pray that when we are through, you will have a better understanding. And again, what do we believe? What should we believe about the end times? Guys, just remember that Paul was always anticipating his imminent return, wasn't he? He could come any minute, right? Guess what? There's only one of those beliefs 
that makes that true. Because if he's coming halfway through the tribulation, we're going to know it. You know why? Because the Antichrist will be revealed, and we'll see him, and we'll recognize him, and he'll be you know, bringing the world's religions together, and we'll see all these things happening, and we'll recognize it, and we'll know it's coming. But the Bible says it comes like a thief in the night. If a thief was coming to your house, you think you might be ready for him? This is coming when you're not ready. No man knows the day or the hour. Also, it can't be at the end of the tribulation at all because then we can just count the days from the abomination and desolation. We know exactly when it was. That's why the only way that it can happen at any moment that we need to be ready for it is if it's pre-tribulational. Okay? I hope I'm not losing everybody. Please forgive me. You just try to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. I'm trying. All right. So we see the rapture of the church. Now we're going to see the revelation of the Antichrist. Look what it says. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, the word falling away there is where we get the word apostasy. But the word apostasy can also mean It can mean removed. So there's two potential translations here. Either he's talking about the church being removed first, the falling away, the word there can be removed, taken away. Or that the church is falling away from the truth. You know what? Those are both true. I personally believe he's really referring to the second one. That the church will be falling away from the truth. But there are many people I respect a great deal that believe he's talking about the church being raptured. It's absolutely true either way. It will happen. We will be raptured. Now, let me ask you a question. He says there, the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now the day, he's not talking about the rapture day. He's talking about the day of the Lord. How long does the day of the Lord last? Seven years. He's saying this entire time cannot take place. It cannot be finished. You cannot go through it unless there's a falling away of those who call themselves believers. You know when I believe the great apostasy is going to take place? After we're raptured. What would church be like if there's no Christians left? Now there's a few churches in town where you could find out right now. I'm just shooting straight. Have you looked in the religion section in the Sentinel? You know what? Can I tell you something? And I don't, it's funny, you know, we joke, but it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. You know, the Quaker house was quoted as saying, you're as likely to hear about Buddha here as you are Jesus. That's tragic. That is beyond tragic. That's what we're living in today when the people who quote, call themselves Christians, are falling away. That day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Jesus said when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? That's what it says. Will he find faith on the earth? And really the answer is no. Why won't he? Because the church will have fallen away. The church today is rejecting the inerrancy of Scripture. I'm going to give you a list of five things. If any of one of these is true about the church, they're not Christians. Not Pastor Dave's opinion, the Word of God. If they reject the inerrancy of Scripture, you are not a Christian. 
People say, well, you're setting the bar way too high. Wait a minute. If you reject the Word of God, you don't know the God of the Word. As soon as you start picking and choosing and highlighting which parts you believe and which parts you don't, we we either take the whole counsel of God or we throw the whole thing away. And sadly, we live in a world today where people are picking and choosing based on how they feel. Your feelings will lie to you. The Word of God is always right. Amen? Number two, preaching a man-centered gospel. Do we see that in the church today? These are signs of apostasy, of falling away, where the gospel is based more on what God can, you know what, here's what God can do for you in your life right now. Look at all the wonderful things He can give you. God can make you rich and give you this and give you stuff. Number two, they, number three, they avoid the message of the cross. Do you know there are churches today that are taking all their crosses out of their building? You know why? They don't want to offend anybody. Well, if they see the cross, they might get offended. The cross of Christ is the stone of offense. Amen? And we need to be offended because we're sinners in need of a Savior. If you take the cross out of the gospel, there is no gospel. They deny the virgin birth. They deny the resurrection or the deity of Christ. I had a guy visit our church office a few years ago. Was inviting us to a concert at their church. I asked him if he ever goes to the Evangelical Ministers Fellowship. He goes, well, I'm not evangelical. I said, well, then what are you? He said, well, I'm a little more liberal. I, I don't really believe in the virgin birth. And I'm not so sure that Jesus Christ is God. I'm, I'm like, and you're a, you're a pastor? What's the point? Dude, go, go be the director at the Elks Club or something. I mean, why, why be the pastor if you don't even believe the Bible? And I'm the last person in the world that wants to see people leave one church and go to another. But it was two weeks later that one of his people came to our church and I told her, don't go back there. You don't have to come here, but don't go back there. Because if he's not, if he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you don't want to be there, amen? If he doesn't believe in the virgin birth, he doesn't believe in the resurrection, that's not the God of the Bible. We are not to downplay who Jesus Christ is. That's what cults do. Make Jesus less and man more. Make Jesus less, make man more. You know what, guys? We get to heaven, we're not going to be in the same stratosphere with our God, Amen? We're not going to be, oh, I'm kind of close. No, you're not. Not so much. We're going to see that as we get into this chapter. Placing Jesus on an equal plane with Buddha, Muhammad, and the God within. That's not a Christian church. Well, I'm of the Baha'i faith. I got them all covered. No, you got none of them covered. Because you got to believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And you don't have anybody else in the car. Buddha's not in the back seat, right? Amen. It's Jesus alone. Amen. Jesus alone. You know, Buddha's going to bow to Jesus. Muhammad's going to bow to Jesus. Amen? Amen? He alone is God. And it's such a tragic mistake. Proclaiming enlightenment while walking in darkness. And that's what's happening in the world today. And that's not the apostasy he's talking about. He's just saying there's going to be a falling away. But guess what? There's a greater apostasy coming. You know what it is? Let's keep reading. You can see it. But not only does the falling away have to come first, but the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The man of sin is revealed. His name later is the Antichrist. Now, Antichrist does not mean the opposite of Christ, because no one is the opposite of Christ, because Christ is so great, no one can even be the opposite of Him. Amen? Amen? Amen. People try to say that, oh, the Lord's here, the devil's here, and they're kind of bad. No, they're not. 
He's God. Here's everyone else. He's not the opposite. He's not close to Him. You know what He is? He's an imitation. He's a false Christ. That's what the Antichrist means. Son of perdition means son of destruction. And I believe, I could be wrong, I believe that He is just going to be straight up possessed by Satan. Completely and totally. You know, there were people that thought it was Adolf Hitler. You know what? I think the guy, the Antichrist, can make Adolf Hitler look like nothing. Because he tells us he's going to be more evil and more wicked than any man who's ever lived. And he's going to come across like this wonderful guy doing great and wonderful things, but in the end, the true color is going to come out. And by then, it's going to be too late. It's interesting. His name is Son of Perdition. Judas... When Judas left, what did they say about Judas? That Satan entered him, right? Read the text. And guess what he was called? The son of perdition. So is it interesting that the Antichrist is called the son of perdition? Again, in both cases, tools of Satan. It says in Revelation 13 that Satan is the one that gives him his power and authority. He is a man of sin. He's the worst of sinners. He's referred to as the beast in Revelation 13. This is not somebody you want to have anything to do with. And good news is, we're not going to be here. I'm so glad, aren't you? But at the same time, we need to warn the world around us that unless they come to know the Lord, they're going to have to deal with Him. Let me tell you a little bit about this Antichrist. He's going to rule over the world. He's going to bring three and a half years of peace during that beginning of sorrow's time. And he's going to bring an end to economic difficulties. Imagine again if the whole church disappears. Imagine planes falling out of the sky, car accidents, the economy is going to be a disaster. And then there's no Holy Spirit here. There's no, and what happens? It's, a, it's mayhem. And along comes the Antichrist with the answers. And they're all going to go, oh, he's got all the answers. And they're going to elevate him to a position of authority. He's going to bring peace in a world of chaos. He's going to work miracles. And we know he's going to come out of the former Roman Empire. We know that from Daniel's prophecies. One of the ten toes, the ten-nation European economic community. He's got to come out of there. We don't know who he is. You know what? And again, no one knows the day or hour. I believe he's alive today. But I don't believe I'll ever know who he is. Because he's going to rise to power when the church disappears. It'll prompt everything and make everything happen. He's going to bring a peaceful solution to Israel. Now think about that. What are we living in? What's going on in Israel right now? What's been going on in Israel all the time for as long as you can remember? This place is the size of New Jersey and it is the focal point of the world. Why is that? Because God has a plan. Amen? Only nation to disappear and then become a nation again 2,000 years later. How does that happen? Because God said so. God said, I'm not done with these people. I'm going to bring a great harvest within them. Now, what's interesting is, and this is now, I'm going to say your pastor's opinion. All right? My personal opinion. We know that he's going to make a covenant with Israel because it says so in Daniel. The second prince will make a covenant with Israel. Now, how is he going to make a covenant with Israel? What does Israel want right now more than anything? The temple to be rebuilt. And it must be rebuilt only on the Temple Mount. Now, I've been to Israel, and it's interesting that when you go there, 
There's a perfect spot for the temple just north of where the Dome of the Rock is. And you might say, oh, that's insane. They're not going to build a temple right next to the Dome of the Rock. The, the Muslims will never allow that. Well, if the Antichrist is involved, they're going to. And I have scripture to back up why I believe it's true. Because it says that Solomon's te- we know that Solomon's temple was probably located about 300 feet north of the Dome of the Rock. And in Revelation 11, John saw a new temple and he was instructed to measure it. And when he measured it, it's interesting that he found that there was a wall 450 feet long. It's Revelation 11. And I find it interesting that when you go there, it says that they put up a 400 feet to separate the holy place from the profane place. And guess what's written all over the Dome of the Rock? Profanity about Jesus. And guess what? A 450-foot wall is exactly the distance that would be there to put the wall between the temple and the profane place. You think that's by chance? I don't. Pastor's opinion, okay? Now, it's also interesting that this Antichrist is going to bring the solution and he's going to convince them to go along with it. But again, I love that the Word of God speaks about separating of the profane place from the holy place. And he's going to come across like this great, wonderful guy. Can you imagine how much the Jews will love him if he rebuilds the temple? You go to Israel, that's what it's all about. They got all the you know, instruments and they're, you know, they're trying to find a red heifer and they got all the stuff ready. And they just can't wait. And I believe that's going to happen. Rapture the church. It's going to bring about this opportunity for him to come and to bring peace in the midst of chaos. And he's going to, they're going to be sitting on that mountain right next to each other on the temple mount. That's what I believe is going to happen. Now, he's a bearer of peace. Now look what it says. Who opposes and exalts himself. Okay, guess what? He's a bearer of peace for a minute. Three and a half years to be exact. During those three and a half years, they're going to exalt him like he's the Messiah. They're going to praise him. They're going to love him. He solved all of our problems. But you know what? Being that he is part of the unholy trinity... Right? we got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that it's 666, number of man is 6. It's interesting you got Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Now it's interesting that the Antichrist is going to desire not just to be in a position of authority, but he wants to be in a higher position than that. Who does this sound like? Look what it says. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped. It's not good enough for him to be the king of the world. He's got to be greater than God. Satan said in Isaiah 14, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And what did God say? Get out of here. He cast him down, right? And this is... Satan all over again. I want to be greater than God. I want to be the one to worship, be worshipped. Here we have the Antichrist doing the same thing. So that he sits as God. Now what does he do? We know after three and a half years, we saw it in Daniel chapter 9, he goes in to the Holy of Holies after the temple's been rebuilt. That's why the temple must be rebuilt. He goes into the Holy of Holies and sits on the throne that belongs to God and proclaims himself to be God. And you know what? That's going to be it for the true and living God when that happens. He's going to say, okay. 
I've withheld my judgment long enough. Here it comes. And it's gonna. And for the next three and a half years, it's gonna be judgment like the world has never seen. It's called the abomination of desolation because it's the abomination that's gonna make the temple desolate. And again, it's not persecution like we face. It's righteous judgment. But during that time, it says that they're going to they're gonna realize they've been duped. The children of Israel are going to finally realize they missed the Messiah. And we know that 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel will be saved. And the two, Moses and Elijah, I believe, will be walking around Jerusalem witnessing the people. The law and the prophets. Walking around witnessing the people. That's what's going to happen. Again, we will be in heaven. I don't know if we're going to be watching or not. Probably not. Probably so focused on the Lord that He'll tell us when it's time to come back. It says there, so that He sits as God in the temple of God, showing Himself that He is God. This again is the reason most people today do not get saved. They want to be on the throne. I'm, God, I don't want to submit my life to anybody. I want to be on the throne. I want to be in charge. I want to call my own shots. And you have the right and the privilege to do that, but it's not going to be good if you do. Verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that He may be revealed in His own time. He says, look, you're not in that day of the Lord because if you were in the middle of this day of the Lord and you'd be going on for years now, the Antichrist would have appeared and you know what? The great apostasy would have taken place and everybody would have walked away from the true and living God and that's not what's happening. You're not in it. But so that we know when the Antichrist will come, he reminds them of what he'd already told them and he says that which is restraining that he may be revealed. Do you know what restrains the enemy from taking over? The Holy Spirit. The church. We can look at the church today and and say it's not what it could be. Is that true? But we can also say that God is still using the church. People are still getting saved. God is doing a great work. And we need to know that. But there's going to be a time when the Antichrist and the evil of this world will be restrained no longer. When will that happen? Look what it says, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. Who is He? Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Who is restraining evil on the planet today? The Holy Spirit. Who really has the keys to the world right now? Who is it? Satan. But he's being restrained by the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Where's Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where's God the Father? He's in heaven. Who's here on earth? Holy Spirit. Who's restraining? Holy Spirit. But notice, it says this lawlessness is already here. This ungodliness is already running around the earth. But you know what? There's something keeping the darkness from overwhelming the earth. And that's us, the light of the world. We're called to be the light of the world. And while we're here, the darkness cannot overwhelm completely this planet that we live on. I believe the restraining power is what keeps the devil and evil from completely ruling and reigning and dominating without resistance. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Where does He dwell? In us. In the church. Okay. So, look at verse 8. It says... 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So, when will the lawless one, when will the Antichrist be revealed? After what? After the church is raptured. What does that verse say? Is that pretty? It says, after we've been removed, after he is no longer here, the Holy Spirit, then the lawless one will be revealed. He won't, and again, it makes perfect sense that the rapture of the church, total chaos, here's an opportunity for someone to rise to governmental power. Now real quickly, there's also going to be a false prophet. And I have an idea who I think he's going to be. And when I tell you, you're going to be very offended. (laughs) Just your pastor's opinion, okay? I could be wrong. I think it's going to be the Pope. Oh, man. When that goes on the radio, you know, here's the point. It's got to be, it's got to be somebody who can bring all the world's religions together, who already has the respect of many of the world's religions. And if you've been paying any attention at all, there's witch doctors praying at the Vatican. There are monks, there are all kinds of people coming and their arms are around them. And all I'm telling you is, whether it's him or somebody else, somebody's going to rise to power to bring all the world's religions together and eventually they're going to be right in line with who? The Antichrist. Guys, we need to, it's not about organized religion, it's about having a relationship with Jesus, amen? Amen. Don't follow any, you know, and again, I pray I'm wrong. I just pray I'm wrong. And you know what? The Lord loves the Catholic Church, Amen? And he loves everybody. And there are believers within the Catholic Church. Let me make that very clear, okay? In case you think I'm... I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is right now, are they adding to the gospel? What's the answer? Big time. And if you add to the gospel, you're part of the apostate church. That's a fact, okay? Every time I do that, people leave the church and never want to talk to me again. But I'm telling you this. You know why I share this with you? I'm not trying to be like, we got it figured out and they don't. Here's my heart. I have so many friends that I want to see saved that think they're saved because of a church they go to that does not teach the Bible. And it's a burden on my heart not to be right, but to reach out. Amen? And I share this with you not so that we'll think we're right, okay? And it says, whom the Lord will consume. Now listen to this. And the lawless one will be revealed. I might not even get to verse 12. And the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Man, I love that. So the Antichrist is going to be revealed. He's going to have all of the world's armies behind him. This is Armageddon, okay? So they're all going to be mounted up. He's going to have all the world's armies. He's going to show up thinking he can fight against God. And God's going to breathe on him and it's over. Don't you love that? The word here is pneuma. It's the same word that he breathed into Adam to give him life. And he's going to breathe it on the Antichrist to wipe him out. Is he anything close to God? No. We give, you know, again, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we know that he's real, but don't give him too much credit. Amen? Don't elevate and magnify him beyond what he is. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? We don't have to worry about him. We don't address him. Let God take care of him. And for God, it's nothing. The Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. When the Lord shows up, he's going to be glowing to the point that all darkness will have to scatter. Amen? With the brightness of his coming. When the Lord comes back, everyone is going to know. It's not going to be a secret. 
He's not going to be walking around in Brooklyn unnoticed. The word there revealed is apocalypto, apocalypse. That's the word there. When he is revealed, the word is apocalypse. And that's what's going to happen. And the second coming, we're going to be with him and we're going to be glowing in the dark just being next to him. Amen? We're going to be glowing because he's going to be glowing and we're going to be with him. I was going to read a text, but I don't have time. Read, read Revelation 19, 11 to 21. And when you read that, be encouraged because you're going to be right behind him when it happens. Amen? Revelation 19, 11 to 21, last few verses. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. I want to point out really quick that just because someone does signs and wonders does not mean it's God. Amen? Why do we have this book? Because when someone does signs and wonders, we still need to check it against this. Amen? We can be very, we got to be very careful because today people are, the Bible, Jesus said a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a sign. Do you remember the ones that only came for a sign? He sent them away. Because it's not about signs and wonders, it's about our Savior. You know the greatest sign and wonder of all is God transforming your life. Isn't that the greatest one? It absolutely is. Verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. Who will not be saved? Those who would not receive the love of the truth. The word love there, I'll give you one guess. What do you think it might be? Agape. Agape is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. And who's the truth? Jesus. Those who would not receive the agape love of Jesus Christ are the ones who will be separated from God. But His desire is that none should perish. No, not one. Guys, Salvation is a choice. It's offered universally. It must be accepted individually. Verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they, shall not, they should believe the lie. Notice, they will not believe the lie until they first reject the Messiah. Until they first reject Jesus. The reason people believe the lie today is they reject the truth. Last verse. And they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me say this as we get ready to go to communion here, and I think this is appropriate. As Christians, do we still sin? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. But you know what I believe the greatest difference is? When you sin, aren't you grieved? Doesn't it break your heart when you sin? You know what it says right here in the end of that verse? They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Guys, sin is pleasurable for a season, but I believe the closer you get to God, the more it grips your heart every single time you sin. I believe the sign of spiritual maturity is the difference between time between when you sin and when you repent. Probably goes from weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds. Amen? Sometimes the word is coming out of your mouth and you're asking God to forgive you already. Amen? And that's a sign of growing mature and growing in maturity. And so it says here that those who have pleasure in unrighteousness, they all but mock God. Yeah, I'm living my lifestyle. I don't care. It's all good, man. I'm having a great time. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm going to hell. I'll be, I don't care, man. I'll be down there for a thousand years shaking hands with all my friends, right? And that's not what's going to happen at all. Guys, it's a God of love and grace and mercy who came and suffered and died for you. Now we're going to go to a time of communion. And as we do, the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. 
And I don't care if you're taking the Lord's Supper a thousand times. May we never let it grow common. Amen? As you come up, the worship team, why don't the worship team come on up? As you come up and take the elements, each of them is a representation. The bread is a picture of the body of Christ that was broken for us. His body was broken that you and I might have eternal life. And His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. But as we come and take the cup, I think there's three things that each of us should do. And by the way, we don't, again, as I said, we don't have membership at Calvary Chapel. This table is for all Christians. If you're a Christian, it's for you. You do it in remembrance of Him. Communion does not save you. It's in remembrance of what He's already done for you. Amen? But as you do it, can I encourage you to do three things? Look back to the cross and remember what He's done for you. Look within and examine your own heart where you're at with Him right now. Lord, shine a light in the deepest parts of my heart and show me where I am with you spiritually. And help me to get right. And then look forward knowing that we will have the Lord's Supper with Him in heaven one day. Amen? And as we take this time, may we not take it lightly. The worship team will play a couple songs. I'll come up and close us in prayer and we'll go and have our agape feast. But you know what? I want to say this too. While that's happening, myself and a couple of other pastors are going to be over here. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you can't come up and take communion because you don't know the Lord, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen? And you know what? To be, be a Christian doesn't mean you have to be perfect. To be a Christian means that you know that our Savior is perfect and that He paid the price for you. And how do you become a Christian? You don't join a club. You don't ever have to come back to this church ever again if you don't want to. The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be saved to the glory of the Father. And I don't mean to have it be a scare tactic because I don't think that's necessarily the right way to do things. But here's the truth. You're either going to come to know Christ or you're gonna be, you could very well be here during a time when the church has been removed. But let me say this. Don't come out of fear of the Antichrist. Come out of love for the true and living Christ. Amen? That's why we come to Him. Because He loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, for Your love and Your grace. And as we go to this time of Lord's Supper, of communion, Lord, may we never take it lightly, that incredible work You did for us. Lord, I thank You that You did not appoint us unto wrath, Neither wrath here on earth during the tribulation, but even more impressive, not wrath for eternity separated from you. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we know it's the cross of Christ that paid the price for us. So Lord, we ask during this time that we would do this in remembrance of you. It would be a time of, again, looking back to the cross, looking within at our own hearts and looking forward to the day we will be with you. Lord, I pray if there's even one person here who doesn't know you, that they would not walk out of this place without coming to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that they would freely step off the throne of their own lives and put you there instead. You're faithful, God, to forgive us. Lord, may you bless this time. May you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.